Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our January 5th, 2011 edition of the show. 4.21 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. Getting going a little bit late here with the talk portion of the show, but hope you enjoyed that music. We're having a little bit of uh, issues here. Um get our guest lined up on the phone sometimes the gremlins just uh, play and cause problems so we played some extra music all desert related songs so uh you'll uh, understand why we did that in just a moment here and hope you enjoyed that and yeah okay so yeah we occasionally talk about the history and folklore of the california deserts because it's something I like to do. So I'm always excited to come across somebody who shares that enthusiasm and uh, coupled with a, a wealth of knowledge. So this is the ga- uh, the case with our guest today, Jane Poyawa. Uh, she's going to uh, lay on us some enchanted stories and peculiar trivia regarding our local arid regions that she often helps to collect and disseminate through the Morongo Basin Historical Society and other things she's involved with. And uh, before we get going, I want to remind you real quickly that the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, you can do that by emailing me at rglarson at org. You can also catch me on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash rglarson. Jane, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Robert. I'm sorry we kind of got off to a rough start with the technology thing, but, you know, we're, we're going to make up for lost time. Yeah, I'm sure we are. And, and let me get it right from you, the pronunciation on your last name. <laughs> okay, my, my last name is uh, pronounced Poyava. Uh, the J is said like a Y and the W is said like a V. And uh, it's, it's a Polish last name. It's, uh, it actually means twilight uh, or a sort of an interstitial space. So I think that that's uh, what we're coming out of here. Yeah, well, that name is certainly appropriate for you. And so Poyava, did I get that right? Right, right exactly. Okay. Uh-huh. And this, the spelling is P-O-J-A-W-A. And, uh, yeah, so um, you obviously have this love affair with the desert that I have as well. So how did that come about? Well, you know, the desert is just, it's so wide open, and it seems like everything there, maybe because it is sort of on the edge of survival, is just a little bit stranger than uh, than maybe what we're used to in, in uh, you know, so-called regular life, although it's certainly regular enough for, for people that live there. And so it just kind of seems that if somebody decides that they're going to make their house out of uh, bottles <laughs> or, uh, you know, um, or if they're going to be uh, noticing abnormalities in the, the starry night sky, it's probably going to happen out there. Yeah, and so again, it's kind of this, uh, a little bit of this twilight thing in, in the sense that it's, uh, it's this between kind of place, because when you're in the forest, you know it's this place like full of, of, of life, just teeming with, in the desert, you, you tend to, if you're not really familiar with it, you see a lot of rocks, and you think that that's not that's, living thing, but yet there are things living there, it's this kind of in-between place. 
That's that is exactly the case, and uh, and there's certainly a lot of it, and it's really spread out. It's very geographically interesting, geologically interesting, and uh, and inhabited by lots of characters. So uh, there's there's always something fascinating going on in the desert. Yeah, and that's right. It it draws the characters, and and we'll get into that in a little bit of of why that is and who some of these people are. But um, let, let's first talk about your involvement with the uh, Morongo Basin Historical Society. Who are they, and what is it that you do with them? Okay, well, I am the um, I'm the media and communications chair for the uh, Morongo Basin Historical Society, and I got involved with that because my friend Barbara Harris was the, um, was the president at the time, and, uh, and so she, she basically recruited me the um, Cabot's Pueblo Foundation Board. Um, Cabot's Pueblo Museum is just a real awesome resource in Desert Hot Springs, which is, oh, you know, like maybe 10 miles north of Palm Springs. Uh, it's it's um, it was the home of a rather eccentric individual, Cabot Yerksa, who uh, basically built his his castle out of trash that he found on the desert. And so, you know, what's not to like about that? Uh, not only that, but he was very involved with the um, whole esoteric side of UFO sightings, and was uh, a friend of George Van Tassel and, and George Adamski. So, uh, so that kind of got me sucked into the UFOs and the desert kind of phenomena and the contactee movement of the early 60s. Yeah, and that there definitely was a lot of that going on, and it, just fascinating characters and whatever your uh, sort of feelings or beliefs are about that. It, it's just <laughs> just these types of characters who are involved with this. They they are characters <laughs> and, and we will go into a little more detail about uh some of them and the, the morongo basin uh, uh exactly what does that encompass uh, geographically well geographically it is pretty much everything north of the 10 freeway until you get to like the 15 and, and the 40 further up so uh, it's, it is a vast area. A lot of it's taken up by the Marine Bay and 29 Palms, uh, but definitely uh, Joshua Tree, uh, everything up to Amboy mm-hmm. uh, is considered the Morongo Basin. And so it's, um, it's the Mojave Desert with, uh, a, no, I think that we don't have any part of the Colorado Desert. It, it's all uh, Mojave. Uh, but... Um, but really, really fascinating. A lot of uh, diverse geological features. Uh, we're we're not really. Uh, I mean, we are south of Death Valley, but we we like to claim that. Are are you still there? All right. Hear me? Uh, yeah, we had a little drop out on the phone there, so you seem to be back now. So if you want to repeat the last oh, sentence I, or so. I'm sorry. Let me, let me just say that again, that uh, strictly speaking, it does not encompass Death Valley, but we kind of, uh, we kind of have a shout-out to our people in Death Valley, too, <laughs> because uh, the desert is, is really continuous regardless of, uh, you know, how, you know what, what definitions you want to put on it. Right, and so the even like uh, the the Imperial Valley would not be included in that either. Um, 
I, I guess. And right, you, right. But we don't we don't actually have the Salton Sea or or Goths, but um, you know we we run um, sometimes field trips out there. Yeah, because again, it's 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 all it, it's it's a continuous desert, even though it has different names and it's certain things sort of separated. It, it's still all this sort of Southern California. Uh, Central California desert in all kinds of bizarre, peculiar, surreal kinds of places and characters and uh, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm really glad you guys are doing all that and preserving the knowledge and uh, uh, sort of those of us who who have such a fascination with it all. You're you're helping us to uh, find out more about it and preserve that. So uh, yeah, let's let's get into some of the characters you mentioned. Uh, the people that were involved with the whole uh, sort of subculture of uh, UFO uh, belief in that and and the this area, especially uh, you know, kind of uh, Landers, Yucca Valley, and some in in, in expanded beyond there. Uh, uh, this kind of thing is a big deal. Obviously, the the number one uh, character in that region is George Van Tassel. But could you talk a little bit about a couple of these characters and wh- why they seem to end up there and why people that are interested in this kind of thing seem to congregate around these regions? You know, I, I think that it's kind of an interesting debate as to whether you know, these strange characters move to the desert or if the desert makes people strange, <laughs> and uh, I think that I think that it's probably uh, a little of both. Um, George Van Tassel, definitely one of the most um, notorious people to uh, to make his home out in Landers. Uh, he um, he was running uh, spacecraft conventions, interplanet spacecraft conventions, for uh, most of the. 50s, 60s, and 70s, um, for those who aren't familiar with, with his work. And uh, at their heyday, they would attract tens of thousands of people. It was just really, really popular. You also have a lot of eccentric artists. Uh, you know, the Desert Christ Memorial Park is in Yucca Valley, and that was founded by a guy named Anton Martin, who had been a... Uh, um, he was involved in the motion picture business in L.A., and he ended up moving out there, um, out Thousand Palms Oasis. You've got Harry Oliver. Um, Greg Bishop gave a, a First Wednesday's talk about him, uh, I guess, last month or the month before that. Um, total eccentric. He'd been an art director in Hollywood. He, um, he moved out to the desert, started publishing the... Um, um, oh, now I've lost it. It was his, uh, the, I think this, the um, Pack Rat Gazette. Uh, he had this whole story about how he would get his news clippings from a pack rat nest in his, in his office. Um, and he was very instrumental in trying to revive the legend of Peg Leg Smith, which uh, got really big out in the Anza Borrego area. In fact, they've got a, a Peg Leg Smith memorial. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Um, you were out in Salvation Mountain fairly recently? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I was out there. Okay. And you and I, I think, were out there together when we were working on this film uh, about a year ago. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, you went out there that day, right? 
Right, yeah. right, exactly. And so, yeah, Salvation uh, well, Mountain. What can you say it, about it, Salvation Mountain? Uh, Salvation Mountain is um, probably the most significant uh, folk art site in the United States right now. Uh, they've had really a terrible month for December. Um, uh, Leonard Knight, who is the 82-year-old founder of Salvation Mountain, uh, has been... Um, he suffers from senile dementia, and he's been put in a home where he's he's actually adjusting well. It's it's it is good news. It's just sad news for the um, development and preservation of the mountain. Uh, and uh, his primary caregiver, Kevin Eubank, um, died of a heart attack last month. And uh, Kevin was really instrumental in in keeping the whole the whole place organized and running. So, um, you know, they're, they're going through some restructuring right now, but, uh, you know, hopefully they're going to make it out okay, and uh, they really need some community support. So if, if anybody's listening from, from that area, please uh, help out Salvation Mountain if you can. Yeah, and for those who haven't really heard of it or been there, uh, Salvation Mountain, it's just it's something to really be seen. As you said, Jane, it's this... Uh, bit of folk art but it's a it's a hillside that's 200 about 200 feet high i don't know probably about 200 feet wide that's covered in adobe and painted in these really sort of bright almost garish colors that contrasts so weirdly with the uh desert background and it's just uh this uh this man who is doesn't have a official uh art training has created this thing that is quite uh, amazing just because he's just following his own his own muse is it is that right. a pretty good way to put it oh I, I think that's a great way to put it i i think that it is important to keep in mind that it is an entirely man-made structure um you know he's uh he's taken kind of a, a natural form and covered it in adobe and sticks and stuff that he's found in the desert, and it's painted all these crazy primary colors, and, um, you know, he's, he's, got, he's a simple guy with a simple message, and that is, God is love. He doesn't actually really have um, a whole lot of structured religious beliefs. Um, he's kind of non-denominational Christian, but his... Uh, it, this mountain is just an expression of, of love in in the universe, and it's really hard not to get behind that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, he's really a, a gentle soul, and you don't feel whatever your religious beliefs are or are not. It just you feel this kind of um, compassion and gentleness that emanates from this guy, and it's really nice to be around. And I'm you know sorry he's having a little bit of uh, uh, health problems and. Uh, that I hope he'll be back, and that uh, he uh, that this goes uh, the mountain is is preserved in one way or another, and which I, I believe it will be. It does it does seem that there are authorities who are it, it's got an official designation as a a folk art site. Is that not correct? Um, I'm actually not really sure what the status of that is. He he definitely has a number of. Um, plaques and awards and considerations and things that are on display there, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know how um, protected the site is from, say, a um, you know, national 
preservationist point of view, uh, which is unfortunate. It, it, I think that it really, really needs to happen. Um, you know, back out in, in the Morongo end of things, uh, Joshua Tree has had a number of eccentric artists as well, and one of them being uh, Noah Purifoy. And his sculpture garden is, is still happening out there. Uh, he passed a number of years ago. Um, and, you know, I, I just really hope that the same is, is true of uh, Leonard Knight's. Um, well, you know, it, it's, not, it's not only the mountain, although that is, you know, amazing and considerable. Uh, he also has a collection of art cars that um, he's also, like, covered in Adobe or Bondo or something <laughs> yeah. and, um, and then painted. And uh, it's, it's just really an incredible thing to see. Yeah, Salvation Mountain, and you can, those of you listening that aren't familiar, you can Google it, and you can easily find it, and it's well worth checking out. This is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine, Robert Larson here. I'm speaking with Jane Poyava, and uh, her name is spelled P-O-J-A-W-A. And uh, Jane, uh, where can people find you online? You, you have a, a blog, or you have a couple of things where people can um, find out what you do? I have a, a couple of things, actually. Uh, I'd, I'd really like to get in a plug for uh, Morongo Basin Historical Society, and that's mbhs.net. Um, and that'll have that are coming up, as well as some really must-see sites out in the Morongo Valley. Um, my personal website is uh, poyava.com, P-O-J-A-W-A.com. And uh, another thing that, that I do is uh, I write for my husband's blog, and that's uh, Raven Jake Dawes, and you can just find that by doing a Google on uh, Raven Jake type pad or Raven Jake Dawes. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we do a lot of excursions into the, the desert and some uh, paranormal stuff. Um, we'll probably be coming back to talk about Gamma Gulch, and, uh, and you can get a link to it from there, too. Yeah, okay, uh, Gamma Gulch, I, I was not hip to this. I've spent a fair amount of time out there in the desert, but uh, certain things kind of uh, uh, sort of bypass my attention, and that was one of them. And uh, uh, you had been talking about it online recently, and there was some kind of field trip out there, and uh, Greg Bishop has been on the show s- several times, and uh, he, he mentioned it, and I was really intrigued. So if you could kind of give us a little bit of uh, history on on this it sounds like a place that i want to go check out uh you you absolutely do want to check this out and i don't think that there's any way you could just kind of uh you know show up there accidentally because it's about you know seven miles down an unpaved and basically unmarked road and uh um there's a uh there's a character out in Gamma Gulch whose name is uh, is Garth um, Garth Garth Bowles, I believe, B O W L E S, and he's the founder of.
Are, are you still there, Jane? I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Uh, you, uh, I think I, we had a little cut okay, out. Again. Let me yeah. let me back up a bit. Uh, this is this is the problem with with cell phone non technology, <laughs> and I'm I'm sorry about that. Uh, we're talking about Gamma Gulch, and there is a. Uh, <sighs> It's a character named Garth. Kind yeah. of seems to be the word to use, yeah. um, but but it's it's an area that was um, that's being settled settled by uh, by a, a guy named Garth Bowles, and he's got a sort of a farm, sort of a commune. Uh, he himself lives in a teepee. Um, it has kind of started to, well, the fabric's kind of losing its structural integrity, so he covered it with gunite. So now he's got this this permanent teepee that he lives in. And it's uh, it's really just a lovely, lovely area that's um, a sculpture garden, um, and, uh, and, and he's also working on some community-based agriculture products. Uh, and it's kind of down at the end of, of God's Way Love Road in uh, in the Pioneer Town area. And it's uh, yeah, you said it's uh, seven miles down this sort of uh, pretty much unmarked road, so it kind of keeps out people who are not serious about finding things like this and being uh, and having a, a sort of reverence for it. Is that not the case? That's 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 exactly the case, and um, and I'm glad that you used the the word reverence because you know you're talking about um, Garth and and a group of other people who are really doing some um, experiments in in alternative living and uh, and and different different lifestyles, uh, and it it really is kind of. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty wild west out there. You know, you're you're in an area that's not really. Uh, I mean, obviously, you're in America, and it's subject to the law and and all that kind of thing. But you're also really looking at um, you know, kind of a, a free expression and do it yourself kind of environment. And uh, so, you know, it's. I, I think that there's there's kind of a, a balance between trying to, to make that available to people who would really like to, to come and, and pay their respects and check it out. And then you always have, like, kind of a, a group of, of yahoos that don't get it and, you know, might be in danger of, of trashing the place because, you know, um, the desert is also very fragile and tire marks will last almost forever out there and you know things like that so there's uh there's a balance and uh, and i think that if somebody is uh committed to finding god's way love and uh and and visiting garth they'll find a way in the uh is this uh, public land or do, do they actually own this land is it blm what, what's the do you know oh it it is. It's privately owned by Garth. Okay. Um, I believe that he inherited 140 acres from his family. Okay, and so there are these uh, ponds or pools there that, the way Greg Bishop was describing it to me, it sounded just absolutely lovely. Uh, now, where does that water come from? Do they have uh, running water? Does this come from wells? Because you know we're t- it's the desert. 
Right, and uh, it, it really is an idyllic landscape. I believe that the ponds are a combination of, of springs and catch basins. Okay, yeah. Uh, it's, it's very, very elevated up there, like close to 5,000 feet. So even though they, they have the, um, you know, it's, it's a desert, uh, there's also, um, it, it also frequently snows. You know, it's, it's one of those things. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. The high desert does get snow out it there. It get really, really cold. <laughs> yeah, anyone who's camped overnight in Joshua Tree in the winter time will know. And this is like a, a little higher elevation than that, even. Right, right, exactly. And um, let's see here. Probably fifteen, twenty miles away from Joshua Tree, it's it's pretty close. Mm. Okay, yeah. So, uh, again, this is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. Robert Larson here, and I'm uh, speaking with Jane Poyava, and we're talking about our local deserts here in uh, California, Southern California, and the Morongo Basin in particular, which uh, Jane is involved with, preserving that information about uh What's out there? And let's uh, talk a little bit more about some characters. I um, have talked to you uh, off the air about a character named Willie Boy, and this is a fascinating uh, story. Not a lot of people know about it outside of that region. And and who was Willie Boy, and um, why is this story important? uh, Willie Boy was a Shemueve Indian. Um, he, was, he was Native American, uh, and he became associated with uh, something that was called the Last Western. Uh, he was involved in a domestic dispute um, in which uh, he ended up murdering someone uh, and absconding with, uh, with a, a young woman who he considered himself engaged to. Um, and, uh, it was, let's see here, I believe this happened in, um, 1907, okay. 1909. Uh, now this, this is actually kind of a, um, you know, it's a tragic story of, uh, possibly misunderstandings and cultural, um, well, cultural misunderstandings, uh, but it probably wouldn't have become national news if President Taft wasn't visiting the area at the time, and his uh, his tour wasn't going so well, and uh, and there was a whole press corps that was following him around. So they really glommed onto this local story uh, that quickly became national news, and uh, and and basically there were there were two local posse's that hunted. Um, hunted this Native American guy down until he committed suicide uh, several days later. Now, the story is very, um, is, is very complex, and there are a number of um, paranormal elements to the story, uh, one of them being that uh, this particular guy, this, this Willie boy, uh, was trained as a swift fox shaman, uh, and so he was covering just huge amounts of um, territory, barefoot, running, um, as uh, something of a shamanic practice. And uh, 
because it's it's the desert. Uh, if you control the water holes, you can you know, your chances of, of finding somebody out there are, are really, really high. So that's what the posses were trying to do. And yet you had this um, large amount of local uh, Native American resistance that was actively sabotaging their efforts by um, making making certain sites look, uh, look like like possibly Willie Boy had been there if he hadn't, and um, and and you know virtually every waterhole out in the desert has a Willie Boy story associated with it, and um, and and finally you know at the end of the story there is a certain amount of controversy as to whether or not he actually died or if he escaped and the posse uh, brought in another body trying to make it look like something it wasn't. Yeah, so it it becomes you know this classic uh, folk tale in the sense that there's a real story that happened, but mm-hmm. there are all these elements of of myth you know weaved in and out of it, and and it to this day it's hard to know exactly what happened, and and as uh, you know these uh, folklore the way it works is as time goes by. The stories mutate and it changes, and uh, Willie Boy becomes this classic hero slash anti-hero. Right, and, right, exactly so. And so, you know, depending on how you feel about things, he's going to be this hero or he's going to be this bad guy, but it's always kind of this mix, and it's hard to sort of, like, really uh, fully suss it out. And and to me, in a certain sense, is you know, as it should be, this is how this is why folklore is so, is so powerful, because we don't know the 100% truth of it all, and we just know that there's this, this bigger epic going on, and it weaves in all these things about people's fears and aspirations and all of these elements of, and in this story in particular, racism play into it, and just it becomes this kind of microcosm for the the larger uh, America that is at that time in the early twentieth century. That right, is, right, exactly so, and uh, it's. The Willie Boy story is less about Willie Boy and more about whoever's telling the story, and and how they how they choose to interpret it, um, and and it is it is really quite fascinating. A lot of the um, a, a lot of the sites in the uh, that are associated with this story, like Rock Corral or Giant Rock, uh, actually have Willie Boy related graffiti. Um, that I suspect was probably put in place um, shortly after Tell Em Willie Boy was here, which was a movie from the 70s with Robert Redford. Uh, after the, the movie came out, uh, you know, the Willie Boy locations were, kind of became more prominent. Um, yeah. But it is it is pretty pretty interesting to uh, to look at that terrain and, and just imagine how uh, how somebody would would manage to get from place to place you know barefoot over rocks and and cactus and uh, at at one point in the story which is very controversial uh, at about the third day out. Um, the girl that he absconded with uh, was killed. Uh, she was shot. Um, and the posse said that 
he had shot her because she couldn't keep up. But really, the preponderance of evidence um, points to the posse shooting her by mistake. So, you know, so it's it's still very controversial even 100 years later. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, historians and folklorists, I'm sure, will be uh, looking at this for some time to come. And uh, at the... Uh, the Morongo uh, Basin Historical Society has a, a lot of information about this, that if somebody was interested in looking into it? Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. There are a, a couple of um, very um, very prominent books that were written about it. Uh, there's uh, a novel that was written by Harry Lawton called uh, Willie Boy, A Desert Manhunt, and, uh, and then a group of historians from Riverside, uh, let me see here, uh, yeah, James Sandoz, Larry Burgess, uh, they published kind of a, a counterpoint book called uh, uh, The Hunt for Willie Boy, Indian Hating and Popular Culture, which uh, I believe came out in the the 80s or, or so, uh, which, which is um, a very... Um, I don't want to say it's an apologist um, retelling of the story, uh, but it's very definitely recast the story in a very uh, pro-Willie Boy, very anti-Posse kind of light. Mm. And it, mm. it really just it really fuels the, uh, the controversy over it. Yeah, and that that uh, <laughs> the controversy I'm sure will go for some time. Uh, we're just about out of time here, Jane. And uh, did you want to? Um, were there any events coming up with the uh, Moronga Basin Historical Society that you want to let us know about, or any others? Oh, uh, absolutely. There is. Uh, we've had a, a very successful first Wednesday program that's open to the public. It's going to be shifting over and becoming a second Wednesday program, but uh, the second Wednesday, the second Wednesday of every month, um, next one being March fourteenth at the High Desert Museum in Yucca Valley. There's um, guest speakers doing different presentations. Um, the next one is Dennis Case Buyer of Goss, and he's going to be talking about building a cultural center in the middle of nowhere. Uh, if you've never been to Goss, it's, uh, it really is out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and yet they've got um, a team of researchers that's... Uh, just working through all these these old documents and getting them scanned and and organized and building this huge database of um, well really desert research it's it's really quite fascinating and they do have a, a visitor center that that you can go to um, there will be some upcoming field trips and I would say just uh, just check out the the site mbhs dot net and uh, and see what upcoming events are, are going to be going on. Uh, I would also say we've, we've also got a Facebook presence. Um, we've got a page, and we've also got an MBHS group. So if you, uh, if you find me on Facebook, I would be happy to add you. That's uh, Jane Poyava, J-A-N-E-P-O-J-A-W-A, or just look at Morongo Basin Historical Society, and it should come right up. Okay, yeah, Morongo Basin Historical Society on Facebook and Morongo Basin Historical Society, that's mbhs.net is the website, mm -hmm. right? And, okay, and your uh, your website again? Uh, 
is uh, Poyafa.com, P-O-J-A-W-A. Okay, and yeah, um, any of you interested in... Uh, Desert history and lore uh, in, here in Southern California. Check all of that out. And, uh, Jane, thanks so much for spending the time with, with us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Robert. Okay, and I'll be talking That's to you again. Phone thing. Okay. Okay, perfect. All <laughs> right. Take care. Yeah, Jane Poyava, and that's P-O-J-A-W-A, and, yes, all those websites we mentioned. And, uh, yeah, check it all out. And you can, if you want any more information about it, you can also email me, rglarson at org. You can also catch me on Facebook, facebook.com slash rglarson. So we are out of time here. We've got... Um, in just a few minutes, Matt Kaplan will be coming up with more great programming here on KUCI, and that is Counterspin and Planetary Radio from 5 to 6 p.m. Good stuff, always. And I'll remind you once more the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. All right, Robert Larson saying I will be talking to you next week here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at KUCI.org.